This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. The community and I are saying we have to demand change because there is, if I go to a coffee stand and you make my coffee wrong two times, I'm not coming back to you. So why is Mm. it that my black coffee Mm. has more you know, accountability than a black life. Like, I'm like, what, mm. you can't even make my coffee wrong twice, let mm. alone treat me wrong twice. Like, mm. you know. Um, if I had an organ right now, I'd be like, mm. <laughs> Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Greetings, greetings. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Nerd Farmer Podcast, coming to you live, my friends, live, live, live from beautiful, smells like fireworks, South Tacoma. It is good to be back. I've been calling the show a uh, American teacher abroad, but I'm at home now and I'm chilling and it's really good to talk to you all. I want to thank you for downloading the show today. This is episode 100. Uh, this started off as an experiment in the Moonyard Studios and Garage, and now we've made it, we've made it, we've made it. I'm going to talk a little bit more in the outro about some love, but just thank you for downloading the show. Uh, today we have in studio via Zoom uh, one of my favorite Tacoma peeps and a candidate for the 28th Legislative District uh, Senate seat, uh, Tawana Nobles. Tawana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is really cool. And I love uh, Doug's background that I could see. And I didn't realize when you said your home, you were in Tacoma. I thought you went on vacation in Dubai and were like back to your Dubai home. Nah, nah. I am here for the summer. I spent time with mom this morning uh, and I'm going to just, yeah, just, just enjoying the city so far. It's, it's, I, I think on the back side of the show, I might give some thoughts about my return, but it's good to be home. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. Let's do it. You are a strong, independent black woman living in what seems to be some really troubling times in between like the COVID outbreak and the lack of uh, effective federal response, uh, the protests, and then like the burden of running for office. Like, how are you and your family? How are you holding up? Yeah, we're we're definitely um, just we're we're definitely like just holding up and, and probably going day by day like most other families. I mean, I have three kids still at home in public school. So we crisis schooled. I feel like I pretend crisis school because it was a lot (laughs) all the time. And so I'm very proud of my kids for kind of leading through and being responsible and, uh, you know, taking care of their responsibilities because it was um, challenging to, I decided to run for office in March late, like that's late in the game, but I had been saying no to running for this seat for a number of years. And I know we'll talk about why I made that decision, but I announced running for office. Then it was a stay at home order. And then my kids are all home and I I run a nonprofit that needed to immediately serve the community and and all of the um, COVID needs. So we also pivoted our programming and I had to, you know, get my staff stood up working remotely. Um, So it's just been, a whirlwind. And, you know, then yesterday I get a call, um, about my younger brother and he, you know, his doctor wanted to have this end of life conversation that I just wasn't prepared for. Um, because my brother is himself and just has been like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm just going to the hospital again and again and again. And he's at like end of stage heart failure. So it's, um, an interesting time, but as you announced in the beginning, I mean, there is nothing but strength and empathy and um, faith that carries me through. And for a long time, I've been that anchor in my family and in my circles. And so it's nothing that I won't be able to bear, but it's just day by day because there is literally something new, whether it's like, oh my gosh, we spiked back up to COVID cases that we saw in April or just changes in what's happening with my family around the country. So I will continue to be focused and um, will take care of myself as best as, as I can. My team gave me the weekend off. <laughs> they forced me to take the weekend off. Um, so I'm going to use it to recharge and to stay in contact with my brother and, you know, focus on the, on the kids. But I'm, I'm here 
and I'm grateful for every day, but it's definitely real out there and in here, you know, in my, in my home and my heart. And so I will do the best with what I have. Uh, for sure. Prayers for your brother. Um, that's really unfortunate. Family stuff's always tough. I, I, I don't know. I just have really bad luck. When I was back in December, uh, my mom broke her leg and she's 79. And so Ooh. like, and it happened a night that I took her out to adult civics happy hours. So I was blaming myself for it all. Uh, and now that I'm back, my dad had back surgery. And so, yeah, the, the, the burden of burdens, the wrong word, but when family is struggling, it adds to all the other things in life that are kind of complicated and make things tough. Yeah. But those of us who can step into, um, the roles, like I yesterday became the point of contact for my brother and I'm like, ah, how did that happen? Um, but I see it as a blessing and the same for you and, and your family. Just thankfully you get to be here with them and um, you are here to support them. Yeah, it's not not necessarily a, a burden, but it definitely adds to the plate. But I'm glad that they have you and you have them. Yeah, I'm into big plates apparently. <laughs> uh, so one of my first times I remember meeting you was around your nonprofit. You helped found Ladies First. Uh, educate the audience a little bit, please. What is La Ladies First and uh, what was the mission of the organization? What were you trying to accomplish? Yeah, although the, you know, well, the mission of Ladies First was to empower women and girls in our community. So we for, um, and I continue to do the work of Ladies First, but I'll talk about what it looks like now. But for the last eight years have been building confidence and self-esteem in women and girls in our community, have been exposing them to STEM careers and scientists and job opportunities and leadership development. And that work has been consistent and has been able to ebb and flow depending on what's happening in our community and what the needs of women and girls are. One correction, though, Ladies First has always been for profit. So now mm. I don't run the business because I'm at Tacoma Urban League and um, get to do work for girls and women under our nonprofit umbrella and through a partnership that we call Sisterhood in the City. Mm. It was really important when we started Ladies First that we were entrepreneurs. We didn't want to feel like because we were doing something good for our community, we needed to become another nonprofit and, and feel like we couldn't be businesswoman and say, we want to be paid. Like we are doing something good, but this also costs us in transportation and resources. And so from the beginning, it was um, a business, but we worked with nonprofits um, or organizations like local school districts um, and co-wrote grants with them to pretty much pay ourselves a pay our salary and to pay for all of the, the needs of the programming. And as time went on, it just has evolved into so many partnerships. Well, now um, the work that I've done with women and girls, my business partner fell in love, moved to Hawaii. So it's been myself for probably yeah. the last five years. Um, but it has evolved from running programming at First Creek Middle School a couple days a week because the assistant principal was looking for mentorship for girls to now partnering with not just Tacoma Public Schools, but National Park Service with Citizens for a Healthy Bay, you know, running environmental camps. Um, running STEM camps. So all of these incredible opportunities and surrounding women and girls in our community by other just powerful leaders. Again, I, I mean, I love science and, and scientists. I, I really care deeply about the environment and teaching young people that right now there are things that they can do to um, fight climate change, um, things that they can do to preserve the, the only planet that we have um, to live on and ways that they can use their voice now to be advocates. And so I really enjoy that work, but also just taking kids to places like Ellensburg to visit a renewable energy plant, just like incredible partnerships. And, um, you know, we've been doing that for girls of color and for, you know, girls of any background for eight years now. And it's incredible. One of the, my favorite things about working at Lincoln High School was the opportunity to take kids places where they wouldn't have access otherwise. Like we had students who we took them on a trip to like University of Washington and like watching them explore a campus that like there's no way they would visit otherwise just changes what they think is possible. And the same thing with trips, trips to Ellensburg. So much of what students do and like think is possible is about what they can see. And when you allow them to see more things and like different opportunities, then it changes possibilities for them. And so I've always saluted that work. Uh, I feel like I'm going through all your hats. Okay, well, pop off the ladies first hat and now let's put on the school board hat. So you're in your second term on the UP school board, correct? Yes. And so what is it like to be a school board member right now? Because I feel like no matter what happens in the fall, everyone's going to be pissed. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what it's like being on a school board, period. Because <laughs> we, <laughs> I mean, dealing with, um, I mean, this is our, our crisis that we're dealing with now, but the entire first term of my school board was uh, 
de- dealing with McCleary and are we going to have funding and um, all of the funding changes and budget changes and, and, and districts losing out on money. Um, so I, I think there's, there, there are so many changes in education. Um, and part of why I wanted to run for reelection is I feel like you, you don't get to learn a whole lot by serving one term. You really need two terms. Um, at least, I mean, you could probably end after two terms. Cause I do believe in like, you know, I, I believe in term limits. We're not term limit, limited, but I'm like, let other people leave, you know? Um, but so much changed my first year that I felt like the second year is actually learning more about policy governance. Um, thinking a whole lot about now reopening. Cause I, my term started January, um, of this year and, um, still figuring out funding, all of the options to reopening cost us more money mm-hmm. <laughs> that we do not have. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be challenging no matter what. And I believe in every district, we're, well, like every other district, we're trying to assess how many families are going to come back in the fall. If we, sure. you know, what, what will be, what will they be open to a hybrid model working remotely? Um, are they looking for consistency, you know, in school, in school every day, but part of the day, just like what, what are folks open to? Um, and even for my kids, I, I told them I'm terrified. I don't know that we can hold kids responsible for some of the ways that will keep them safe when they're together. I don't know how we have younger kids, but also older kids keep on a mask all day and, um, just be responsible for keeping themselves, you know, safe. That self-regulation, I think, uh, worries me, but my kids want to be in school. I asked them, could we homeschool or do something? And they're like, no, I've not had my friends around for almost three months. I want to see my friends. Um, so it's, we don't have a lot of answers, but whatever we do is going to cost more money. I mean, I, I don't, you probably know this, but even public transportation, my kids take, uh, well, it is public transportation because it's paid by public dollars, but my kids take the bus to school, all three of them. And all of the, the the regulations and recommendations for um, transportation is reducing the number of kids in buses. And so figuring out then how do you, who's going to drive multiple trips and routes and we can't possibly buy that many more buses. It's like five times as many buses. So um the fall is going to look very different and I really don't know exactly what that will look like. And I don't know that those who are responsible for knowing more than I do really have a great idea either. I mean, we, we haven't been through this um, since we have been here on earth. I mean, this is um, new for our generation. So there isn't really a, a model to follow, but I'm for my own family, I'm worried and concerned because I want my kids to be healthy, but I need them to also, um, I, I, I need them to also be learning and having a, a positive academic experience. And um, I'm just waiting and, and, and going to see, you know, what will happen. So nobody in University Place listens to this show. Like people just stop listening at Mildred. Nobody in UP listens, I promise you. Uh, given that nobody in UP is listening right now, mm-hmm. if you were the superintendent of UP schools, instead of being on the board, uh, what course of action would you recommend or would you put in place? That's a good question. I, I mean, honestly, because I have to think about, mm, that's a good question. So this is, I mean, I, I, I'll again, tell you what. Nobody's I'll, listening over there. I know. Nobody's listening I, I'll over tell there. you what I want to do because I'm thinking of my kids. Like I want my kids to be home with me and safe, but honestly, I can't manage that. Like we don't even have the technology to do that. Yeah. We don't, I had to borrow a laptop and give up from the school and give up my personal laptop. And we really should have had three laptops for all three kids. But with the short time frame, I'm like, we could deal with two laptops. And then I bought myself a work one. So I think I would want my kids to be home with me where I know they're safe, but I just can't ensure they're going to learn anything with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on top of that, I have to be honest about, I run a nonprofit full time and mm-hmm. I, um, and running for off for office. And so I think about how if I step out of being selfish and I want my kids to be safe, how much of a burden it has been already for several months for families who never got to stop working. My schedule has been flexible. I have been able to work remotely. There are folks who have multiple kids like I do, but both parents, or if it's a single parent household, they have been working this entire time. Their kids have been fending for themselves with curriculum, with meals. And so I don't think I would be responsible in saying, 
that those families too should not have help. Because I know teachers want to be in classrooms and want to be with students and and want to teach um, students. And so I think, um, I, and I don't I don't agree with folks who are saying they're your kids; they should be home with you. Families literally literally need to need to work, and not all of our kids are in safe environments. And I know when I, I I know this to be a fact because it was my reality as a kid. Going to school was my stability. Going to school mm-hmm. was my meals. Going to school was my support. My coaches and my teachers looked out for me and really saved my life. And school oftentimes is that window that teachers have to look into a kid's life. Now, not all of them utilize that in a right way. And, you know, they overreport or make things worse for kids. But for teachers who are, you know, who, who, you know, who do care about students, they oftentimes get, you know, the right types of diagnosis. Even I think about my kids, like even just like vision and, and hearing checks, like my son, because of his vision check at school was, it was, you know, recommended that he get glasses. So I just think schools are so critical for um, families for so many reasons, not just academics, um, but a lot of the social, emotional, and just well-being pieces that I can't selfishly say kids should stay home because families are really struggling with that. But if I could, if I could do it, and if I could make sure everyone had technology and broadband access and um, childcare at home, and all the kids were safe, I would want us to do what we're doing now, which is we we're being asked to stay home. I don't know how in just a short time period, we're going to be ready to start school. So I would want us to do what the government is, is recommending, which is yeah. stay home and stay away from each other so we can get this, this virus dealt with. Um, so that would be me if I were, if I were a superintendent and no one in my district was listening and judging me because I want the kids <laughs> to be home and safe. But I'm like, if I could feed them all, make sure they still got the social services, make sure special ed students got what they needed, make sure my son could actually you know, have his speech classes like normal. Um, I would want our kids to be where they are safe. And and right now that the recommendation is that we are home um, and not in, in large groups. So we'll see. It's wild to me because I know damn well that a whole bunch of folks are going to start school like in person all the way back. And that's going to last about three weeks. And I haven't heard anybody talking about what's the plan if a student is positive, if a parent is positive, if a teacher is positive. And so I, I, there's nothing more than I want than to have a normal school day with my normal students inside a classroom doing what I do best. But there's nothing that sounds worse right now than normal right now because times aren't normal. But that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. Um, And we still have to, and we're still going to have to be creative for teachers who are high risk, for students who are high risk. So even- in those situations, not everyone can return back. It's just not a reality. Um, so we still have to figure out how to serve those those students and and how those staff can perform their, their jobs. Um, but I think right now the hybrid method is going to be, whatever that looks like is going to be the, the best bet. I just, I don't know that we're going to be ready for it on a timeline that maybe folks are thinking now. We're not, you know, like typical fall. I think, I think things will continue to be pushed back. I think most folks that tuned into this tuned in to hear you talk about your race for the 28th. So let's go there. Okay. Um, so I've got listeners who are like Tacoma political junkies and then folks who discover the show, like who live in Abu Dhabi and listeners in the Philippines and all over the place. So uh, what is the geography of the 28th? So if elected, you're going to represent whom? Yeah. So the 28th is um, a bit of a, a mixed group. So we actually have um, lots of people of color here, uh, in University Place in particular, our student of color population is over 50% district-wide and at every school. Hmm. So increasingly diverse, you know, uh, many languages spoke here. Uh, obviously, we're on a golf course. We have a shoreline. I mean, there there definitely is, is some wealth in University Place, but there is also um, poverty in, in, in not just University Place, in our district. I mean, we um, have a lot of need. And, you know, that includes our, our, our military families, especially those who are younger. I mean, we moved here as a military family and I remember being, you know, private first class E1 and we just were broke as a joke. I mean, we just, <laughs> um, you know, we, we did what all families do and we survived and, and leaned on our, you know, other military families and just got through. But um, I think there is. Um, in addition to having lots of military families, this is a working class community, you know, the lots of folks who are union members in this, in this community, including, uh, teachers union. Um, this district is, um, pretty expansive. So it's Stillicum, DuPont, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Lakewood, 
University Place, Burcrest, Anderson Island, McNeil Island, Ketron Island, and yeah. also Tillicum. They probably put Tillicum with some, but you know, also Tillicum. So it's it's a large district, and and then so obviously very diverse because there's also all the many needs of, you know, folks who live on an island and have to take the ferry to get a lot of their essentials. Um, and sometimes I feel like a lot of the needs on folks who are on our, our islands are, are not um, thought about, including sometimes what happens on McNeil Island where we have, you know, a penitentiary there and, you know, what's, um, you know, what's happening with our incarcerated. I think now it's changed a little bit to where it's supposed to be more recovery. I need to learn more about what's happening at McNeil Island, but we, you know, we have community members there who have their own set of needs and complaints about their, their treatment and whether their needs are being met. So I think people like in University Place and Fircrest would say they feel like our neighborhoods are safe or, you know, in, in Stillicum. Um, lots of green spaces, lots of walkable spaces. People move to, you know, everywhere from Stillicum or Station 2, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Fircrest, um, live in Anderson Island because these are places where you do want to raise your family. This district definitely is you know, where we have, I mean, we have Trader Joe's and <laughs> Whole Foods and parks galore and then pools and golf clubs and, you know, all types of things in this district. Um, so it's, it's very diverse and has a lot of, um, a lot of needs. And I'll pause there because I, I, what I want to say next will come <laughs> with the question. <laughs> well, no. So I think you're right on about that. Like if I think about that district, it's the apartments that are on 56th and Cirque that are low-income apartments. It's Tillicum, which is Chocolate City. And then it's also like Chambers Bay. And the thing about Lakewood, I always talk about, there's lake and there's wood, right? And so the lakes are poor and the woods ain't. And so there's a lot of diversity economically in the district. Uh, the current chap who occupies the seat you're running for is a man named Steve O'Ban. Uh, can you tell me us a little bit about Steve O'Ban and why uh, he's the wrong person for the district right now? Yeah. So the district that I just described to you values um, women's equality, LGBTQ issues, um, values, um, transportation, infrastructure, um, needs access to um resources, um, such whether it's, you know, housing security or, um, food resources or resources for, for youth and just increase recreational centers. I mean, this is a district that, um, values unions. And like I said, is a working class community and, and a district that has gotten fed up with not being heard as mm. in, when I call my senator, I want them to answer the phone, answer the email, come to the community events I'm inviting them to. And go ahead and preach. Go ahead and preach. <laughs> and so, and this is my district too. So I, yeah, we talk about preaching. I also have a testimony where, in in my you know professional hat to go visit my own senator um, was was left with staff. And so I, it's like this community wants someone who's going to listen to the needs of a community. We cannot we cannot continue to tolerate anyone electing to a position who thinks I don't need to listen to these people. I don't need to show up to that. I don't need to go to these community events. Mm-hmm. Those days are, are long gone because the needs of our community continue to increase. I, and we can't think that everyone in our community is, is well off because no community um, functions that way. And even for community members that have a lot of resources, um, there is, there is always something in their life too that is that is a need. And, and what we're finding in this community as it diversifies is lots of our white community members have more grandchildren and nieces and nephews who are multiracial and they're starting to actually talk more about um, the needs of our you know black and brown community members. And so the district is changing and our current representation um, is inadequate. Our current senator does not represent our needs. And when you are not supportive of unions and not supportive of, you know, fully funding education and difficult to work with by definition of your own um, colleagues and other folks who have tried to push really important legislation forward, that's not beneficial to our community. So we need someone who's going to connect with the community because that's how you listen and learn and elevate those stories and narratives to the state. You take them to Olympia but you can't simply know the needs of your community if you won't listen. Um, And so I mentioned a little bit earlier, I've been asked for years to run for this seat, but I really enjoy um, 
the school board. And I just started my job as the CEO at Tacoma Urban League. It'll be three years in August. So I felt like I have enough going on and I'm young enough to run for state Senate some other time. Like I can do that in a few decades, but the needs of our community now and watching leadership, you know, during this pandemic, my own experience in, in February, I think is what fired, fired me up. Cause I'm like, people have been asking me, are you going to run? I think even my opponent thought I was going to run against him. And I'm like, no, I'm not interested. Like literally the week before I ran, I was not interested, but when I went in February to have my own meeting for our urban league legislative day and my own Senator, like wasn't there for our scheduled meeting, I felt really disappointed. And I, and I told myself, but you don't have to, there is something you can do about this. And you have been saying it's not the time, but your kids are old enough and it, you know, talk to family and see if they'll support you. Talk to community, ask your, your consultants who just finished running your reelection campaign to, run across all the data about this seat because I also did not want to run to be a martyr. I did. I don't have time to run so someone can be, cannot be unopposed. I don't have that kind of time. I only want to run if we have the greatest possibility to win. If we can win this seat, I, I was willing to run. So when I thought about this is disrespectful, but, but Tawana, this is a seat you can run for. This is your district. And when I looked at the data that said in most swing districts where and I'll, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to this, but this is just more of why I decided I, I wanted I wanted to run. But most swing districts where our governor wins by a super small margin, he won he won here by, you know, 52 percent. This district also wants a Democrat. Hillary Clinton won here. Trump lost here. So the other reason why I thought it was a good idea to, to run is this district is not leaning Republican. This district leans Democrat. The district and and while I continue to tell people I'm running to teach and to share more about my values and who I am and why I show up the way that I do and, and to share my story and my commitment to community. Um, this district closely aligns with my values and being willing to work hard and knowing the importance of, you know, listening together and working together, knowing the importance of education. And we have to make sure we pour resources into education um, and working hard to unite our community and accepting everyone. But our Senator voted down I-1000 I mean, it's, it's like, what's the point? If you don't like anything that we care about here, what's the point? <laughs> um, so I'm here to represent the people and their needs and to listen to folks, not just people who can pay for a lobbyist to come and visit me or schedule a meeting, but to continue doing the work that I've been doing at the Urban League and um, staying connected to grassroots. And I will stay at the Urban League um, as I serve in a state legislature, but this community needs someone who knows how to work you know, on the ground, knows the issues, has experience, is collaborative, and um, is is an educator. Like, I love that I'm a teacher. Like, I am excited to teach my colleagues um, more broadly what it is that our communities are asking for. I'm excited to partner with them and help them to understand that Black Lives Matter is not a polarizing issue, but to help them to understand what this this request to change your mindset is, right? Because so Go many folks think Go it's about preach. violence and looting. And I'm like, that's not it. So I'm an incredible teacher and partner and collaborator. And right now, the times that we're in needs that type of leadership. We can't be single-minded and we can't be bought up by, by corporations. I'm so grateful that even my campaign, we have about 1,650 individual grassroots donors and is breaking all types of records. Like individual people who are saying, we want change in this district. So the time is, 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 is up for our current Senator and I'm, I'm running like my community depends on it. Yeah. Your district is really fascinating because, uh, two years ago it was Steve O'Ban and then Dick Murray. And so they've already shed one Republican house member. And so now there's an opportunity for Democrats to take the Senate seat. And it appears to me like so there's some complications to be had in the governor's race. Like Jay Inslee's probably going to win re-election. And then if the Democrats win the White House, Jay Inslee's future is likely in Washington, D.C. But for my money, your race and lieutenant governor's races, uh, sorry, race is the mo are the most important races uh, in November. And so like if you're listening to this and care about progressive issues in Washington state, uh, even if you're not in the 28th, this is a race to watch and frankly put some money into. So. We're going to take a break and when we come back, I want to talk through the issues about why you're the best person for this job and why you're better than Steve O'Ban. We'll be back.
This is Nate Bowling, Alaska Air MVP and host of the Nerd Farmer podcast. There are three places I call home right now. The first is Tacoma, OBS. The second is Abu Dhabi, where I'm teaching for the next two years. And the third place I feel like home is on board an Alaska Airlines flight, sipping on Northwest beer and watching free movies. When you spend as much time on an airplane as I do, you come to appreciate the finer things that Alaska Airlines provides. It's because at Alaska, customer service comes first. I see it in all the little details that make the experience of flying better. Free messaging and free movies on select flights, and of course, that signature fruit and cheese plate. When I fly, I don't even look at the travel sites. I go straight to alaskaair.com and book. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for your longtime support of Channel 253. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the show today. If you like the work that we do, and by the way, 100 episodes in, it's like, it's you're due to support it. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm naming names. Leah Ford, you listen to almost every episode of Not Joined Yet. Join Channel 253. So if you want to support the show, uh, go to channel253.com slash membership, and you can support the work that we do here. Uh, memberships are $4 a month or $40 a year, and your membership dollars will help support this show. And then also IWL and the Flounders B team and We Are Tacoma and the newest show that we have on the network that I really appreciate, uh, Give Me the Mic, which is a community forum where members of the community can come on and tell their stories. And so if you like what you're, gonna channel, if you like what you're getting from Channel 253, channel253.com backslash membership. All right. Uh, next thing, Farm Fam, I asked a couple of you, or ask you all actually, to write some reviews for the show on Apple Podcasts. And again, these help people find the show. And so uh, I want to read a five-star review. And so Kayla Hip, big homie, thank you very much. Uh, my favorite podcast. I look forward to every episode of Nerd Farmer. Nate, uh, sorry, not only is Nate's podcast a great resource for learning and keep up with local news and national events, but the books, TV shows, and community activists and organizations I've learned about through the pod are always incredible and valuable. Thank you for this great podcast, Nate, and then Channel 253 team. Yes, Kayla. Uh, thank you very much for that review. Y'all, it sounds hacky. Every host says it. But like, if you write a review for the show, it helps people find the show. And more people listening allows us to do this work. All right. Enough of that. So, Tawana, let's talk through some issues really fast. Okay. I feel like you solidified the first half of the episode, like why you are a better representative for the district than Steve O'Ban. Uh, what I want to do is talk through issues. So let's start with tax policy. Uh, one of my biggest like bugaboos I've talked about on the show a dozen times probably is the fact that Washington state has the most regressive tax structure in the United States. Low-income Washingtonians pay more of their income uh, than low-income folks anywhere else in the country, and the opposite is true for high-income folks. Uh, what are your policies? Uh, what are you going to bring to the table in Olympia around tax policy? Yeah, I definitely want to make sure that I'm supporting and I know I know you hear this a lot because I hear it from, you know, other senators, other representatives um, from our governor. Um, but we're going to have to work really hard to be innovative and to find progressive tax revenues. It's challenging because I know a lot of folks when when you run for office, they want to know your plan. But again, mm -hmm. because I've. <laughs> created policy before and served before, even if I drafted a, a really brilliant plan, I, I go to Olympia as a freshman and there are folks who have been there a long time working through policies and have done a lot of research and have a lot of great ideas. And so there's a lot to learn about what have we tried, what has not work, um, worked, what is it that we need to do differently this session? Be because everybody keeps talking about the same thing. We, we support capital gains tax, tax the rich, don't disproportionately tax the poor, um, you know, our poor people, people of color, immigrant community members, they should not be carrying um, the greatest uh, tax burden. But I can't figure out why we haven't, you know, we're saying the same thing, but why haven't we made it happen in Olympia? And so that's the piece that um, I have to continue having conversations and figure out where I get to apply my experience and in, um, in talents and, um, and learn from the folks who have been doing this work a lot longer than I have. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll, you know, jump right in to, to, to figure out, you know, where the gaps are, you know, what I, what I can bring to the table, um, what I can help us to figure out. But I don't, I don't think there's a shortage of ideas on what we can do and where we can draw money from. And folks have given me ideas about, you know, what about money for the lottery? And that can go into education. Um, I'm just like, everybody has great ideas, but what are we going to do? What, <laughs> 
which which one of these are we going to you know take and, and and try since we recognize we have an existing regressive tax system and community members who um, oftentimes need the most support are paying a disproportionate you know part percentage of their income in, in taxes so I'm ready to get to the action and I don't know what that looks like but I'm excited to to get to work and I, I just my philosophy is I don't you know I'm not going to take the stance of here's my plan I'm gonna run to Olympia and do what I've said I, I mean I need to learn what what we've tried and what has worked and what you know where we are now and try to make a good plan move forward you mentioned capital gains tax and capital gains is one of those things that like I think is important given that like wealth is concentrated a disproportionate amount of the wealth that wealthy folks have comes from capital gains not wages uh, would you vote for a capital gains tax in Washington state if Absolutely. It came across your desk? Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of people who have said that they would they would want to be taxed in that way because they do disproportionately have, you know, wealth from capital gains. So, yeah, I just I'm excited to learn just like what what's you know, what's the roadblock and and how can we make it happen? I want to be part of the, the, the contingency of folks who's supportive and, and ready to to take action. So as a school board member, you'd be uniquely positioned to walk into conversations about K-12 funding. Uh, do you think that the state of Washington has fulfilled this obligation under McCleary? Absolutely not. Okay. And it's, yeah, absolutely not. I'll let you ask your next question. Just <laughs> Well, so, so, uh, but the Supreme Court says they have, and the legislature said they did, and patted themselves on the back, and we're like, good job us. So they have. Mm-mm. And schools are struggling in these very unique and I hate the overuse of the word disproportionate, but there is definitely an inequity of funding in schools and school districts and and what's happening. And um, I think it was really hurtful to see this fully funding decision come down and see schools lose funding Mm. for their students. Um, And many districts have not and will not be able to fill the gaps. And so in university place, because of, at this point, pretty um, strategic spending, we haven't had to do mass layoffs and reductions, but those budget cuts really hurt districts and really hurt families. And and districts had to make tough decisions to cut jobs. so it is. It, it has not been equitable, and it has not helped um, too many school districts, which impacts students and their learning, and they're you know losing um, support in the classroom, losing some of the services that they need, you know, losing losing some of the additional time that they need um, for um, learning and, and academics. But also, just schools already have a great burden and responsibility to do a lot for students. And I mean, all types of great jobs, like the folks who make sure that nutrition is taken care of and folks who make sure our kids are safe in a playground to principals and to specialists, music teachers, art teachers. And we still have a full music program and and university plays. All of our students beyond fourth grade are required to play an instrument until they reach, Mm -hmm. I think, sophomore year. I think through ninth grade, you have to, you have to be in band or choir or orchestra. Um, So those types of cuts have been preserved in our district, but a continuation of not being funded and having to, um, you know, dip into funds that we've been able to save over the years is, is, you know, going to be detrimental to us as well. So no schools have not been fully funded. And, um, that makes me even more fearful of like, where are they supposed to get the money to be able to safely reopen? Like how, I don't understand how this is supposed to happen. And I, and I have not, heard any commitment of um, providing in a substantial enough amount of funding to fill now, you know, two different gaps, like basic ed and now a safety plan, you know, due to coronavirus. Yeah. A classic example of this is I uh, was talking to the band teacher at First Creek and she talks about SIG money. So for like folks who aren't like ed policy experts, uh, SIG money was federal money, school improvement grants. And basically, uh, the federal government came through and did a uh, basically these they've grants to low performing schools that brought additional money for programs. 
And then like the idea was that that additional money would provide for better education and outcomes, but the grants are temporary. So you infuse money into schools in order to like raise test scores, which are not a measure of anything, but that's another conversation as well. But then the money goes away. So the programs go away. When you're talking about school funding and lack of school funding, like one of the things that I want the audience to get their head around is, is that low income students cost more to educate because low income students are going to have, um, a higher number of students who are homeless, a higher number of students who are special needs, a higher number of students who are uh, not who English is their first language, a higher number of students who are housing unstable and need to be transported. But the funding formulas that we have in Washington State and across the country don't drive more money to those schools. And so when you talk about McClure not being funded, I just want agreed, agreed, agreed. Uh, last November, uh, Tim Iman, petty thief. Uh, passed one of his raggedy initiatives that basically blew a hole in the Washington state budget for transportation. And like, I'm really struck because I've been out of Washington state for like seven, eight months. And like the construction by the dome is still going on and the light rail is still <laughs> making its way up hilltop and everything. And businesses um, are still closed and right. don't have access to parking. And absolutely. Right. Do you have thoughts about the budget hole that we face for transportation and about how that can be addressed? Yeah, I I don't. So what I have heard is there may be like approximately, and I could be way off, but I think what I've heard is, you know, there may be like a 30% budget shortfall. Um, mm. So I so in some places where there have been gains in, in policy and maybe funding commitments, I don't know that those same things are going to be priorities. So I don't, I don't know where that conversation is going to land realistically this session. But what I know about our district and I, you know, I support transportation options like increasing public transportation and in, in, increasing um, the, the, the quality of, of those you know, sound transit, Pierce transit. And we'll always vote to um, my, my personal vote on my personal ballot, like vote to get us as much funding in our community for transportation infrastructure and, and to reduce congestion, especially, you know, with us near the base and a lot of, you know, traffic and large trucks that, that come through here and, you know, that go to DuPont or go to warehouses. What I continue to hear from some community members though, is this disproportionate charge or fee, right. And tabs for transportation infrastructure or, access to public transportation that the 28th doesn't necessarily see. Hmm. And I can empathize with that because my own children who are getting older and now use public transportation to get to friend's house or to work can't move around in our own district because there is not access. And I know even either sound or Pierce transit in some places like in university place where there aren't bus routes will offer like Lyft rides or Uber rides. And so what I have heard from the community, because I am a representative for the community. Now, don't get me wrong. I also have to utilize a whole lot of common sense. And I have to also listen, like seek out and find voices that don't always, you know, send emails or make phone calls to learn how a more diverse, you know, uh, section or, or representation of our community feels. Um, but the, I think that the mood here is, Folks wouldn't mind paying or investing if they felt like they were seeing what their money was paying for in the 28th. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, on the MLK, they can see tracks being laid down. I mean, you can see development in lots of, you know, lots of other places. That's that's 27. That's not that's not the, the 28th. And so and, and there are folks who are still really optimistic and will continue to pay. But I think the cost, like it, tabs, especially when folks who have multiple vehicles and um went from a reasonable bill, reasonable bill to a $900 bill or $1,200, you know, total bill for multiple cars and in, in, in their household. I think that sticker shock was, shock was disproportionate to what they could expect to see in, in, you know, transportation infrastructure or access in the 28th. So my job is to be able to, I guess, be this in-between person of like putting the pressure on Pearson Sound Transit of, we've we're not saying we don't support transportation infrastructure we're making sure that the, you know it's funded and put into the the budget but what the residents here are saying we want to see it in our community and and actually it's not just a 28 thing the urban league just signed on to a letter um to pearson sound transit saying we're not king county right like don't forget about pierce county and don't forget mm -hmm. about the diversity of pierce county and and 
if you want Pierce County to be supportive, you you have to make sure all of the, the areas of Pierce County are benefiting in the way that they're being charged. And I think that's reasonable. And I think that that's outside of, I'm, I, I'm like, for the sake of my community, I want to be able to pay and, and um, you know, fund transportation. But I definitely have heard community members who are like, we're, you know, we're afraid we're not going to see what we've paid for, what we or you know, what we're being asked to pay for. And I'm like, it's, it's good to hear that because then I know that I need to bridge that gap and I need to make sure I'm getting that commitment from Pearson Sound Transit, like up and down I-5 for JBLM, for University Place, for DuPont, for businesses here, for community members here. What is the, you know, help us, like educate us on what our dollars will be paying for, for our district, right? Like help people to get on board. Um, and, and, and I think folks also want to know, like, how could they contribute financially without one bill in their household being, you know, um, one bill in their household increasing significantly? Um, but what, what you're talking about is old fashioned politics, right? You're saying I am a representative of this district. This district is paying taxes and not getting them back what it deserves. Uh, and the current senator representing district isn't showing up for that community. So like, as you're, as you're talking about this, I'm just nodding, like that's what politics is supposed to be. Like you're supposed to go to state government and go to state agencies and say, damn it, take care of my people. So I'm just like, I'm, yeah. I'm like, go fight for me. Hell, um, <laughs> the, the, the last kind of policy question I want to touch on uh, is one that's near and dear, I think to both of our hearts. And it has to do with like the protests that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. I am... American police don't lost their damn minds. Like American law enforcement kills a thousand people a year. Uh, they use force indiscriminately. They yeah. beat journalists. They beat women. They beat men. They kill people for resisting. They have choked the life out of folks on camera. And I feel like the behavior of police has actually gotten worse since the process started. And there's no real change coming. Mm -hmm. What is you? So one, am I crazy? And then two, uh, what is your belief about what is to be done about law enforcement violence against civilians? Yeah, one, you're not crazy. And two, I think the other piece to add is like, like less than 1% is, you, less than 1% of those officers who we watch on camera, who we have evidence of um, murdering and um, using excessive force on uh, citizens um, actually receive um you know, an appropriate consequence for those actions, right? Or, or um, receive the, the level of accountability that they should. And I think that's the issue. And so I actually love this conversation because this is another place where education is critically important because a mm -hmm. lot of the message that's coming across is um, not understood by too many people. And it disappoints me because I, the community is right that we have to figure out who in our community is going to actually use de-escalation skills. Who in our community is actually going to be prepared to deal with mental health issues? And I've heard council member Keith Locker in Tacoma talk about, it is actually a pretty unreasonable ask to, you know, underpay um, officers and then expect for them to do all of these things. They, and they're demonstrating they cannot do the, they cannot deal with the homeless and they cannot, mm -hmm. um, um, seemingly many of them, you know, de-escalate de a situation or too many of them are not de-escalating situations without shooting folks in the back, without kneeling on their necks. And I think it's unacceptable to even allow anyone to say or convince us to think that a few bad apples is okay because there's no other industry where that is allowable. And so we do need to think about where we are investing our dollars in public safety. Now, some folks, when they talk about police and the plan for moving forward, there are lots of city councils and um, high-ranking officials who are talking about disbanding the police. That is what they're talking about um, locally and across the nation. But for a lot of the com conversations that I'm hearing, folks are like, we definitely value public safety, but we want to be investing our tax dollars into public servants who mm. are looking out in our best interest and in keeping us safe and not, not killing us, not um, going to um, behave in a way that is divisive or you know ignorant to the needs of community. And so I think, and I spoke with um, several senators who kind of asked this question of me with my Urban League hat on, of you know what should we be thinking about? And 
um, I said, you're going to hear a lot of your constituents bringing forth um, demands and recommendations for greater transparency, greater accountability. There needs to be a, you know, some type of registry that is documenting these citations and officers should not be able to move across, you know, department to the department, um, having multiple citations or murders under their belt and, and not being held accountable. Um, a lot more communities are going to want their, their police officers to come from their community and to not live elsewhere. Um, the public wants their dollars to be actually invested in public safety. Like what is going to keep the public safe? Because of any, if one officer, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, like, I don't, I'm, I don't think it's acceptable to try to say, well, it's, it's just a few, it's just one here. Like there is no life that should be taken. And that, and that includes, um, you know, police lives. Like there is no, I, I'm not advocating for anyone to use any form of violence to get their, their, their way. Um, but we have to make sure that, um, our police officers are, are trained in, in, you know, racial equity issues are actually prepared to go out into the communities that they're serving um, and are held accountable when they when they overstep those boundaries. And I think it's unfortunate that police unions and police officers feel under attack for the public saying, we wanna, we, we, <laughs> we care about our investment mm. and we, we care about the return on our investment because the public's dollars are, you know, paying for these positions and jobs. And I wanna see us, um, I want to see more officers um, willing to work with the community to do what's best. And I know even here in Tacoma, there's been project peace and lots of great conversations, but the community now is demanding action. And I appreciate the community for putting pressure on elected officials and um, saying, we're not going to keep having these dialogues and discussions. And this is not the problem of the, of the community. Folks who are in authority need to do better. And I think Talk your piece. Talk your watching, piece. Mm-hmm. watching Manuel Ellis lose his life and to see the evidence of how, you know, black men, how community members in Tacoma are treated by a law enforcement broke the hearts of, of our community here. And so we didn't need to, you know, we don't like George Floyd and what happened with Brianna and Ahmad, like absolutely, but we don't have to search, you know, far um, to understand the issue because it happens here. And so I appreciate that the community and I are saying we have to demand change because there is if I go to a coffee stand and you make my coffee wrong two times, I'm not coming back to you. So why mm. is it that my black coffee mm. has more, you know, accountability than a black life? Like, I'm like, what? Mm. you can't even make my coffee wrong twice, let mm. alone treat me wrong twice. Like, mm. you know, um, if I had an organ right now, I'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and that's how a lot of people feel like, let your coffee be, you know? And so it's like, so what is the confusion when we're talking about black lives and how we, how we are, you know, it, handling our community it should be unacceptable and we should say nope that's not how we do things here um and 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 there needs to be immediate change so the community is definitely looking at its investment and where its dollars are going and um, asking all of the right questions and asking to look at uh uh, you know union contracts uh police contracts with the city um asking what what role does the sro play in the school and should they be outside the school keeping you know threats from entering the school because our our, you know our 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 children who are learning here um aren't threats and if they're struggling then let's put community in who can who can work with them right um and focus on the their, their social emotional support so i think there's there are so many great ideas, but people are um, kind of like the protests stuck behind. All I hear is defunding the police. So I can't hear what you're saying. And I'm like, if you want to use a cop out, that's fine. Same thing with all I see are protests and looting. So I don't even know what the message is. If you want a cop out, that's an easy way to go. But I think there's greater opportunity for us to learn from each other and to listen, you know, to the people and listen to the community. And, um, you know, I think Tacoma even more recently with the chief of police, who is a white man saying this blue line is harming our community, is causing people to feel threatened, causing division in our community. So we should get rid of it is the type of action people want to see. It's not about debating opinions and debating intent. It's time to implement actions that are going to reduce and eliminate negative impacts. That's what the people want. So here's the thing, and I just want to just, I, I, I've amened a bunch of this. I, what I hear from you and what I hear from myself is, is I don't hate police. 
Like I, I, I taught at Lincoln High School. We had an SRO for 10 years. Bryce Clother's a good dude. He left. Corey Smith came in. He's a good dude. Uh, the new guy came in. His name escapes me. He's a good dude. They're all good dudes. One, police don't belong in schools. And so even though they're good dudes, police don't belong in schools. Mm-hmm. Two, I don't hate police. I think the work of police is too important to be done shabbily, and I want them to be better. And the point you made about if a barista messes up your coffee twice, you cut them off. But we take we take oversight, lie, 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 oversight, error, mistaken identity case from the police. Like that point is so, so important. This work is far too, like I, I said on Cairo Radio and like they didn't like it. Like the work of policing is too important to be done by chumps. And there are too many chumps on the police force and we deserve and need better here in Washington state. So yeah, police I, are I, incredible. They have an incredible job. I absolutely don't dislike police. Um, and super value every single police officer that's doing an amazing job. And I think that stems from not just law enforcement, but understanding, you know, really tough positions. Both of my parents were in the military. I moved here because I was, you know, married to a a soldier and understand just having to, to make tough decisions to defend your country, defend your community. It is not Mm -hmm. an easy job. My uncle is, is uh, sorry. My uh, second cousin is a police officer. And, so my my father was a police officer. And um, so I have great respect and it has nothing to do with disliking the the police at all. What we want to do, like we like we do in education and with teachers. Right. And we say we need to monitor teacher performance of what happens with our students like we do um, when we talk about healthcare, We need to make sure there's greater access and our healthcare professionals are are treating patients. Well, we want to see the same improvement in our law enforcement. Anything that is touching our community, we want to make sure we're giving them the best, the, the best opportunity, the best engagement, the best interaction. Anything our public dollars are paying for, we want to make sure that it's a great investment and that our return is a reflection of that investment. So this is an opportunity for us to be great and for the police to, to do that in a very unified way. And so I, I get very concerned when folks are fighting back about doing what's best for the community. Well, that's what you're here for. <laughs> right. Uh, what's the debate? We're just trying to get better so we can serve the community, um, you know, in, in the best way. And I, I'm excited because here in Pierce County, I mean, I, I'm, like I said, I, I support the chief. He's a police officer and he's supporting other police officers who who initiated taking the blue line off their car. Like that's police initiated. That's police initiated saying this is I know the community is harmed by this. And I feel like, Nate, because we're educators, this is kind of what we um, teach kids in kindergarten. If Tawana doesn't like that, don't do that. Tawana said, stop. Tawana said that hurts her. So don't do it. We're talking about care and compassion. Like that's not even political. The community said that harms them. Don't do that. The community said that hurts. That's disrespectful. Don't do it. So when you want to show care and compassion, and a lot of police have that in their vision statements and their values, hmm. then that, that to me is an easy ask. When I see that emblem, it, it, it hurts me. Right. I get the intent, but the impact is one that is is um, negative for, you know, too many community members. So I think it. I, I commend the police officers for initiating that change by saying we're not just going to change our profile pictures and say Black Lives Matter, but we're going to start taking actions. And I feel like that was, you know, an easy win for the community. And so um, I've heard Paul, uh, Sheriff Paul Pastor speak out and say we have our own challenges here. Um I think that was Tacoma Police Department's way of saying we have our own challenges here, but this one we can do something about. And so I, I, I commend um, uh, that leadership and, and the community wants to see it you know, more broadly, wants to see it carried forth. The community also wants to see accountability um, in this community. So, um, yeah, I mean, the conversation is, is a lot, but no, I um, have great appreciation because I have too many law enforcement um, officers in my in my family and too many people who have put on a bulletproof vest, have got out there to um, save lives and, and defend values and defend communities and countries to say anything like I um, uh, don't have a high regard for police. But like in any other industry, we just need to go from um, in some places, good to great, in some places from mediocre to great. And some places just, you know, not doing their jobs and, and we need to do um, better for the community and still get to great. Um, and I'm just I'm, I'm happy that the people are, are demanding it. All right. I am so excited that we got to have this conversation. 
Uh, normally, we end the show with a thing called the wind down. And the wind down is the opportunity for folks who come on the show to give recommendations for listeners for things they should listen to, like podcasts, uh, writers, authors, speakers. Instead of asking you that question, what I want to, uh, to hear from you is about your political family tree. So whenever we talk to people running for office, we often ask about their values. I think your values came across uh, very clearly during the conversation. Uh, but I wonder, could you talk a little bit about who got you to where you are on this path? Who are some folks that shepherded you along the way? Wow. Are you trying to make me cry right now? What are we doing? Just, 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 <laughs> I, just, I, I think we, we share some common mentors and I just want to give them some love right now. Absolutely. But I have to take it back. So I initially... Um, I knew I was going to study political science or politics and government because my mom was in and out of prison. And when I was a child, I told her, I'm going to become a lawyer to keep you out of jail. And so as I got older and that instability landed us in foster care, my foster father was an elected official in Phoenix City, Alabama. And that is how I first knew, wow, I still need to study politics and government, but this is really cool. This concept of you can be a public servant and serve your community, but the people have to choose you. And that just really tapped into my competitive side. Like as an athlete, um, I'm like, I, I like this idea of you have to fight for this and, and win this over because I believe in serving the community early. And then as I um, you know, got older, got married and, and moved and studied politics and government, I went to University of Puget Sound. My undergrad is in politics and government. I got involved in campaigns and my first local campaign job was campaign manager for Mayor Victoria Woodard's. And, you know, I also worked on, you know, Dr. Dexter Gordon's campaign and Congressman Denny Heck's campaign and um, just lots of local folks and just folks in between, whether it's an endorsement or a video. And I think what has allowed me as a black woman with multiple children who has a job as an executive to believe that she can run for office and challenge an incumbent Republican, a, a pro-life incumbent Republican, um, is because I saw myself doing it and all these wonderful mentors hmm. is because I knew what it would take to raise the money. I knew who to talk to, how to start it up. Um, and even back when I ran for school board, I had seen it so many times that I was confident I could do it. But I also knew the challenges because I watched black women run for office and be in top leadership positions. I also know that there's a disproportionate level of scrutiny disproportionate mm. level of attacks of, of trying to discredit who you are. Um, and, and the political process I kind of knew, but now really know as a candidate is set up in a way to continue to manufacture people who don't look like me mm. to continue to get candidates, to be dishonest and say that I have a plan. It's, it's set up in a way that is very flawed. And so my campaign manager and I, we have all these conversations that we've written down of, things that will be a presentation or a book or a blog post um, when I'm done running for office. But I, I learned a lot from watching other folks do it. And so I was prepared. So I thought what I have experienced as a candidate and as I think about how realistically, I mean, you, it's very elitist and you have to have money and you have to have resources. And this is actually not set up for a, a mom with multiple children. Um, and you have to have a cell phone and you have to be able to, you know, maybe pay for things to get reimbursed. And I just feel like it does not make this seem like a reality for the everyday working person. And that's the kind of person who should have access and availability to run for office. So as I'm running, I'm, I'm taking notes and pushing back in ways that are important, but completely prepared to give that feedback. And we have along the way where it's appropriate, but some things it's like, it's, um, we, we need to be prepared to tell more candidates about the things that you will only know when you're a candidate and the things that aren't talked about enough um, by other candidates. And maybe because sometimes it's embarrassing, maybe because it's different for me, because like Victoria doesn't have children. So she couldn't tell me about like, oh, yeah, somebody has to like cook for your kids when you're running for office because you have to work all day and then work on a campaign all day and somebody has to <laughs> order the groceries or something, you know. So um, so there are lots of nuances. But because I got to, you know, have this idea of. I want to be a public servant to defend my mom. Um, my foster father let me know that I could be a, a black elected official. Mayor Wood has let me know that I could be a strong, incredible woman, an independent woman and run for office um, and win. 
um, I have to keep that going and make sure that I'm mentoring and, and teaching and bringing more folks into the fold, but also changing the system so that it is ready for folks who look like me. Go ahead, girl. Go ahead. Uh, if people want to follow you on the socials, where should they look? <laughs> I'm everywhere. Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Tawana Nobles. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a blog on Ladies First. So wherever wherever you look, I'm probably there. Just Google me. Google Tawana Nobles and um, connect with me anywhere. I think more importantly, if people want to donate to your campaign, where can they go? Oh, I'll make that easy. That's TawanaNobles.com. T-W-I-N-A-N-O-B-L-E-S.com. Bring all your Thank points. You. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's good to see you virtually. I look forward to seeing real life. Oh, thank you so much. Wakanda forever, y'all. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Whenever somebody says coronavirus, I just hear Cardi B, coronavirus! It's getting real! <laughs> Every time it's right here. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.